Welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast, sharing stories of transformation after pregnancy and infant loss. I'm your host, Bailey DeMars. Speaking of transformations, this podcast is brought to you by perhaps the most transformative product that exists for your skin, Promycin, an acne treatment that actually works and fast. My cute husband has had acne since he was a teenager, and this summer he used Promycin, and for the first time ever, his back was clear. I'm not kidding. I saw a difference after one use, and five days later, the acne was gone. Promycin comes from the Cara Poloni skincare line, and I love and use all of her products, including micro needle powder cleanser, nano silver spray, healing facial serum, hydrating kiss mist spray, and their lip balm. My favorite part is that every ingredient is natural and supplied by the wholesaler Bulk Naturals. So get your skin transformation started at carapaloni.com or simply just Google Promyosin. Hello, it's me, your host, Bailey DeMars, and I'm excited to do a little solo episode today. You have heard the story of my butterfly moment from the perspective from my husband, but today I thought I could share what it was like from my eyes. So I'll get started like everyone else. A couple interesting things about me are one... I actually have had plastic surgery done. Not many people know that, um, and it's not what you think it might be. (laughs) I was playing horseshoes one time, and I had like a chunky sweater, and the knit caught my earring, and I ripped my earlobe (laughs) right in half. So that was a little disturbing. And had to go get plastic surgery to fix that because the ER would not. And a second thing about me is I actually am a twin. And not many people know that either unless really you knew me in elementary school. Because I think that was like something I liked to talk about back then. And I actually will talk about that a little bit more today. But yeah, a couple of things about me. And... You probably know already, but I have a wonderful husband who I absolutely treasure and adore. He's the best man I could have ever married, McKay, and we have the cutest two little boys. And one is three, and one is about to turn one years old. And I'm pretty sure I will only have boys because. Well, isn't that how it goes? (laughs) If you want something really bad, usually it's something else that happens. But my husband comes from a family very saturated with boys. And so far, it seems to have dominated. We'll see, though. I'm so happy being a boy mom. So the reason I chose butterflies is, you know, butterflies... And their metamorphic transformation has been symbolic for me for a long time. Um, So growing up, I had one little sister. I wanted her so bad. And she finally came around when I was seven years old. 
And that's because my parents struggled with infertility. They did a lot of treatments. And as I said, they were pregnant with twins. And during the pregnancy, lost one of the twins and were relieved, but, you know, confused when they still had one surviving twin, which was me. So I remember growing up thinking I would likewise struggle with fertility because my mom did and, you know, I inherited her genes. But all I wanted was to be a mom. And I kind of got the opportunity because my parents divorced soon after she was born. And my mom was wonderful. She went back to school and she worked full time. So she was gone from you know, eight in the morning till about 1030 at night. And we had babysitters for a time, but then it kind of just fell on me to raise her and take her everywhere with me. And I felt a great responsibility for her, which I'm really grateful for because I learned a lot about parenting and what it, what it's like to love someone. You know, my biggest fear when, when I was little, I write it on all my homework when they asked um, it was that my little sister would get hurt. So I developed a big sense of protection and maternal energy. And, but that in the same hand made me feel guilty about doing anything for myself. So I kind of withdrew by my own choice um, from extracurriculars because I just felt like I needed to be there for my sister. And as a result, you know, not developing talents caused severe lack of confidence. And, you know, I know most teenagers are really insecure, but I was extra, (laughs) extra insecure. The most awkward faces you could imagine. And I really just didn't think I was capable of doing anything at all, let alone anything great. Um. You know, I thought I was so ugly and just stupid and things like that. So it was my senior year in high school when I finally got a grip on things and felt like I could turn this around if I really wanted to. So I did things like ran for student body officer and, you know, somehow I won. And I think that was divinely inspired because that led me to have more confidence in myself and and start that transformative process of of a butterfly and getting out of that cocoon that sticky ugly mess you know that comes from broken home and and <laughs> teenagehood and so after winning, I was like, you know what? Something I always wanted to do is shine, so I'm going to do a pageant. So I signed up for my local Miss Sandy because um, I had seen someone I admired do it. And I just wanted to have that moment where people were proud of me. And I made it through a few rehearsals before I realized that I had no talent to do on stage. And I dropped out. I was so embarrassed to even admit that I didn't have a talent. And later I ran into the pageant director at like a snow cone shack. And she said, Bailey, why did you drop out? We, we all had our money on you. And I said, 
you had told her the truth. And she said, we could have figured it out. And I felt regret, but there was nothing I could do at that point. So I guess fast forward, you know, I started continuing with that transformation of, of developing skills and talents to feel some self-worth you know, different hobbies, finally. Like, I started running, and I um, went on a mission for my church and learned a new language, and I went to BYU and, you know, studied things there. even took a ballet class because I had regretted not dancing. So, fast forward, right? Ten years later, I am living my best life because of my husband, because I met him you know, my life just turned around and he made me feel like the princess that I always dreamed of being. And I really wanted to make him proud of me. And I saw this um, woman I followed on Instagram. Her name is Hannah Nealman. I saw her do the Mrs. Utah America pageant. And that was when I learned, hey, married women can still do this and have that moment to shine maybe it's not too late for me. And then when I saw that there was no talent portion in this pageant system, I was like, okay, sign me up. But the thing was at that time, I was about to get, I was planning on getting pregnant. And so I'm like, hey, not this year, but maybe next year, which is coincidental because I did get pregnant. It was my second pregnancy and my first one was a little traumatic because he came four weeks early and he had a NICU stay. It was during COVID. It was rough. I can tell you those details later. So, you know, going into getting this, getting pregnant a second time, I was really looking forward to having that fresh start of how I wanted things to go smoother and be in control and how I had imagined birth and meeting my baby. I wanted that. I just wanted the second baby, especially because I, you know, had felt the love I had for my first son and I I knew I just was ready to feel that again. So we got pregnant and this is my caterpillar phase. Okay, so this is what life was like. I um got really sick, which I was excited about. It was just like my first pregnancy. And we were actually living in Texas for the summer because my husband had a job, which many people know as summer sales, selling pest control in Texas. And so we were living there in an apartment. It was unfurnished. I'm telling you, it was (laughs) meek circumstances. We had you know, a fold-up table and slept on an air mattress, and we were just happy to be together. (laughs) We'll say that. And I was contemplating what to do. Um, So I, I was pregnant, and we, you know, announced it to our families. We did, you know, big reveal to them. They were so excited for us. And then I was contemplating what to do for my first appointment at 10 weeks because I didn't know if I wanted to make the trip to Utah because that's where my provider and insurance were. If I wanted to make that big trip with my, you know, 
one and a half year old son and go through all that hassle for what, like a 10 minute appointment. And so I was like, and I even had this thought, I was like, if something was wrong, it's not like they could do anything about it anyway. All it is, is just listening, right? The last minute, as I approached 10 weeks, I decided, you know, I'm just going to go. So I invited my friend Dakota to come and she is an absolute angel and a saint. She's someone who herself has struggled with fertility. And so it was a major symbol of her love for her to come and support me as something that is such a sensitive topic. But she didn't hold back any love. She came with me and was FaceTiming my husband for me during the appointment. And, you know, we started and they put the ultrasound monitor up for me to see. And I saw this mass, you know, just like I'd seen with my first baby, but it was really still. And I knew something was wrong. And even that morning, I remember I started feeling less sick and I'd asked the doctor when I got there, I said, like, when does nausea morning sickness usually fade? He's like, oh, I mean, usually like 13 weeks, but I could be around 10 weeks. Like that could still be normal. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe just because it's my second pregnancy. So I already had these like inklings, feelings, but I was like, nope, like I made all this effort. This baby's going to be fine. And, you know, he keeps looking, he goes and gets a second device to test for the heartbeat and nothing. And I remember, I think you may have heard on my husband's episode, like he, he wasn't really sure what was going on. He kept asking me how the baby was and I just couldn't even get the words out because I was in shock. I couldn't believe that there was something there that for, you know, almost 10 weeks, I had been developing this idea of what the future was going to be like with this child and making plans. And, you know, my due date was February 6th. And I was, you know, okay, this is what this is going to be like. And there, my two kids will be this far apart. And all of a sudden, that just came crashing. And this is my sticky, gooey, gooey mess of a moment because now I felt, I felt like embarrassed that my friend was there, like I had failed, like my body <laughs> was pathetic. And, you know, the doctor gave me an option to do a DNC or take the pill. And my thought at that time was like, okay, let's just the least expensive let's just do the pill because my body hadn't recognized that you know the pregnancy wasn't viable and it was still thinking it was pregnant so I opted for the pill and I remember going to the pharmacy I'll never forget this because it was a little traumatizing I was in the drive-thru at Walgreens just sobbing my eyes out, just hyperventilating. And I got to the window and the guy working, the pharmacist handed me the 
prescription and I'm sure it's his job to say this but it did not it did not feel very sensitive because he said okay you know that this drug will kill your baby right and I just was speechless because of course of course I didn't want to I did not want to voluntarily take the life of my child because it had already been lost I didn't want to be responsible for doing that and the way he said it made it feel like I was even though I knew that it wasn't my fault or wouldn't be my fault so you know and then I had to fly back to Texas and come home with this awful, ugly shadow of, of grief and sorrow and guilt. And I, I just, I wish someone had warned me. I wish the doctor had told me what the experience was really going to be like. Before I lost a pregnancy, I thought maybe it just kind of, reabsorbed in your body I I didn't know you had to deliver what you had grown I didn't know that it was such a physical process and and one that feels really lonely because when you're delivering a baby you're there at the hospital you've got a whole team of nurses and doctor and you know family people there to to walk you through what you don't know. And and here I was in this empty, lonely apartment. It's so unfamiliar. And I'm laboring all night with contractions, just suffering through the pain. And then in the morning, you know, going to use the bathroom and, and delivering this grapefruit-sized sack. And I just... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to flush. I didn't know whether to take that out and hold it. Because that was my baby. And I didn't want to. I just remember it's so silly, but I didn't want to traumatize my husband. So I didn't wake him up. I just had this moment of just sobbing on the bathroom floor. You know, just so much blood and just not knowing what to do. And, you know, the sticky mess of that cocoon phase, it lasted a while. I mean, I just remember, you know, there had been people I told and people I had it and I just had to walk around pretending like everything was fine, like I wasn't bleeding out and that my heart wasn't broken and that I I was fine but like I was so sore and I just was hoping someone would look in my eyes and just see it just see my pain and just understand and I really didn't know who else had experienced it and I started looking on Instagram like hashtags and I remember it was kind of a miracle because one of the fitness like influencers I followed happened to have miscarriage like within days of me having one. And so she posted about her feelings and how 
how dark and empty she was feeling. And I just grasped onto those words. Like I craved to hear more. I wanted people to share their experiences. So that I felt validated and that I knew I wasn't crazy for what I was feeling. And so, and you know, that went on for quite a while. And, you know, you get the questions that are painful, that are well-intended, but like, okay, when are you guys going to get pregnant again? Well, I, I did. And, you know, just so many things. And I remember if I cried again, other people would say, oh, you're still crying about that? And others would say, are you sure you were even pregnant? You know, and it was just like, oh, daggers to the heart. And so I guess I'll fast forward a little bit. I was able, I was very, very, very scared to try to get pregnant again. Of course, you know, it's PTSD. And I didn't want to risk experiencing that again and I really was not trusting my body because it failed me with the first pregnancy to deliver my baby too early and then it failed me in this pregnancy with this baby that I was desperate to know. So I waited a few months but then you know you have that conflicting feeling of really wanting to try again and so I did and I was fortunate to conceive and it didn't stop there though it wasn't like a breath of fresh air or relief because instantly like every single day I was horrified and scared and really anxious you know am I feeling sick enough am I eating something wrong and you know I, one of the things that I felt guilty about (laughs) is I had eaten a hamburger when I was seven weeks along um, with that second pregnancy, and the burger was raw. But the person who made it, I just didn't want to hurt their feelings, and I didn't know if they meant to do it that way, so I ate that raw burger. And I felt so sick after, but once I got that horrible news, I was like, that was my fault. I ate something wrong and that's why this happened. And so when I got, you know, this third pregnancy, same thing, every little thing I did was paranoid. And I had some scares during the pregnancy. 33 weeks, I had to be put on bed rest um, for early labor and dilation and so you know at 33 weeks I'm like hey this is it my body's failing again and I just can't trust myself and I'm just not doing my baby's justice fortunately by miracles and angels who helped me along the way by helping me with my kid my older son I was able to hold in um, our, his name is Swade. He was able to stay until 39 weeks and he was born healthy and couldn't be more grateful and do not take that for granted. 
But I was realizing even after he was born, I still felt an emptiness. I didn't feel completely resolved. Like he, it wasn't enough just to have a rainbow baby. Like I needed to address those feelings, do something about it. And I remembered that interest I had in signing up for the pageant. And I'm like, okay, here I am. I am 12 weeks postpartum. I just barely got clear to exercise because of some complications. So I am in my worst physical state and not a great emotional state with all those hormones and recovering from the miscarriage. But I wanted to have a reason to get better. I wanted a purpose and a reason to be disciplined. And, you know, I honestly did not understand pageants very well, did not know much more than Miss Congeniality. And I knew that, like, there was a cause, you know, world peace. I knew there was some kind of cause. And it was a light bulb moment when I thought about I could be the person to talk about this so that when it happens to somebody else, that they will know they're not alone because there's someone who's talking about it and someone that will tell them where to go for resources because you can't just rely on medical providers for that. And, you know, when I was more open on social media about my miscarriage, I just was flooded with comments and messages saying that, you know, same. So many people had experienced it in my circles that I didn't even know like I didn't know what happened to them and so I felt like okay there's this force of women who are also craving some attention to this topic because too many of us are facing it it's one in four pregnancies not one in four women one in four pregnancies so like chances are it could happen to almost everyone and so That was what I decided to develop a platform about. And that's when my butterfly moment became because it was amazing the way one thing would be a a butterfly effect, a domino effect to the next. You know, I'd meet one person and their experience and advice would lead me to the next person who would give me this idea to do this type of activity, who would introduce me to so and so and and that's how I came to meet Share Parents of Utah because I just was like, okay, there's got to be some nonprofit out there for this, right? And I just Googled, you know, nonprofit for miscarriage in Utah and I came across Share Parents and I reached out and just said, hey, like, how can I get involved? And they said, hey, there's a, a walk of remembrance this weekend. Why don't you come and help? Sure. So I went and volunteered at that event, and I could not believe the number of families that were there to honor their babies that they had lost. And it was like another light bulb moment for me that I realized I really am not alone. There are so many wonderful resources of people but also, like, more people need to know about this organization. And I know that the leadership 
the president, vice president, different volunteers and chair parents were guided to me by God because I needed them both as like a personal mentor to recover and heal from my own loss, but also just to learn from their experiences and how they've become butterflies thanks to their babies. Because, you know, it's something that none of us wish we had to experience. We wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but we're different because of it now. And it's not inherently beautiful to lose a child, but there is beauty in the changes that come to you and the way you are different because you develop more empathy and you see others in a different light. So if I had to summarize my butterfly moment, it would be the fact that I was able to turn this trial into triumph didn't even matter if I won Mrs. Utah. I just knew that in that six months of preparation from the day I signed up to the day I walked on that stage, I was different. And I had met so many incredible people and genuinely feel like I made a difference in somebody's life throughout my my volunteer work at hospitals, you know, when people delivered babies um, that were still. And, you know, the focus groups I was able to organize. And and now this podcast, like, I just feel like I am a better person because of that loss. And if it hadn't happened to me, I would have still been walking around looking at somebody who had lost their baby and said, why are they not over it yet? Like, they'd never met the baby, or, you know, it's not like it was someone they got to spend time on earth with. Why can't they move on? That That's what I would have continued thinking. But I will never, ever think that again. And something I wanted to share is this amazing resource that I am so glad has come to fruition during my reign as Mrs. Utah. I, it's what I wish I had at the moment. And people ask me all the time, Bailey, my friend just lost a baby. What do I do? And sometimes my brain just is like, um, okay, you can order them this book and you can, you know, go do this. And I kind of get frazzled, but these wonderful grief counselors that specialize in perinatal loss, they created a video and it's 40 minutes and it explains perfectly in this beautiful package tied up in a bow on not only what it's like for the person losing a baby, but what it's like to be a support person and what feelings that supporter might feel and how you can be most effective with your words and your actions to help them. And it really helped me understand my journey. So I wanted to share a couple things that I learned from it, and I will link it to 
the description of this episode because it's a free resource on YouTube, recently released, and I want everyone to know about it so that they, even if they don't need it right now, I guarantee you will run into somebody at some point who will lose a baby and you will want to know what you can do for them or what you can say, what you shouldn't say. And, you know, everyone just wants to do their best. So what I learned is instead of trying to apply the grief and the stages of grief, the five stages, it's not that effective for baby loss because it was intended for someone who themselves is going to die. It's just been overgeneralized. But there are actually six needs of reconciliation by Dr. Alan Wolfelt that really make more sense in this situation. So the first one is to acknowledge the reality of the loss. The second is to feel the pain of the loss. Like sometimes it's uncomfortable. We don't want to feel it. So we try to push it away. But it is so important that we allow ourselves or others to fully have those uncomfortable emotions. Third is to remember the baby who died. You know, people are tempted to just not talk about it because they don't want to bring up bad feelings. They don't want to remind the parents of their sadness. But guaranteed that parent is already thinking about it, thinking about their baby. And it means so much to them when you can remember them. Use their name, you know, include them on you know, family name charts or pictures like on your mantle, anything you can do to remember that baby, like their birthday, anything is so helpful. The fourth need of reconciliation is to create a new self-identity. Because like I said, you are not the same after you've lost a baby and you might have different interests. You might feel less social. You just might not even know who you are anymore. So it's important to find those things that make you happy now and be okay with that new self. The the fifth one is search for meaning. And that means it is okay for a parent to look back and, and like associate events or people or things with that loss. Like for me, that hamburger, somebody might say, Bailey, don't think that because it's not healthy for you to blame yourself. But actually it is really effective for me to find meaning on why this might have happened because it helps me process it and move on. And so don't be afraid to let somebody find meaning in this, no matter how that looks. And the sixth one is to find support now and always. So many people say that, you know, people were there right after the loss, bringing meals, calling, you know, taking care of their needs. But then a couple months go by and it's gone. That support is gone and that's really hard for them because they still don't have that baby and they will never forget. And so... It's just really important for a parent of loss to find somebody who 
can be supportive for them always. And I will just wrap up this podcast by my little piece of advice. And that would be to talk about it. I think I, for one, was embarrassed to talk about it sometimes because I would use, you know, I'd use minimizing terms like just, like, well, it was just 10 weeks or just a miscarriage, not a stillbirth or, you know, anything to make it seem like, okay, I am acknowledging that there's worse out there. But by not talking about it, I was not allowing myself to heal. I was holding on to those feelings because it was a valid loss. I lost something that I was dreaming about. You know, I had dreamed of being a mom my whole life. And I do believe that spirit has a place in my family. And it's hard to think about not getting the chance to raise that baby myself here on earth. But I do believe that I will get the opportunity one day. And that faith does help me. But in the meantime, it's okay for me to talk about it as the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Because it was. I have had hardships in other ways, but this was the most personal and meaningful loss. And I don't need to minimize it. So that's my advice to someone else. Is don't be too afraid to make someone else feel uncomfortable or, or anticipate what they might think of you. So you just don't talk about it at all. You don't need to minimize it. It is a big deal. And guarantee that by talking about it, there will be somebody else who needs to hear it. And I couldn't be more grateful that I'm in the position I'm in as Mrs. Utah America because, to be honest, I don't think I was the most qualified because I had six months of preparation, right? of experience in pageantry at all. It was my first pageant. There were wonderful, incredible women with such amazing life experience and platforms who performed so beautifully that night. Any one of them could have taken the crown. But I think that there's a reason that I'm in this position right now at this time of my life because this is what God needs me to do. And... I will continue to keep doing my best. I'm not perfect. This podcast isn't the most, you know, polished, but I believe in it. And I think it's just important to get it out there. And I hope anyone feels like they can reach out to me if they're in the depths of despair or they're, you know, several years into their healing journey, but those feelings are resurfacing. I am here. Please reach out to me. My social media is pretty easy. It's at Bailey Demars on Instagram. You can also find me as Mrs. Utah America for the next year. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out to me because this is something I am so passionate about because I know I can't solve the problem of miscarriage and stillbirth. That's something nobody can solve per se but I do think we can make it better it could be a a better experience because we can focus on 
you know, the butterfly journey and acknowledge where we are in that journey. And it's okay to be in a sticky, ooey gooey mess. You don't have to be in a butterfly phase right away. But it is important to know that it can get better and good can come from it. I believe that. And I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, I'm just really flattered to be in a position with the means to spread a message. So thank you for your support. Reach out to me and you'll hear from me again soon. Bye-bye.